This episode is supported by ArcIT Section Cut, the interactive virtual conference from our friends at Monograph and Twin Motion. You'll hear more about them later in the show. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel, and a bit of housekeeping up front. I'll apologize here in advance that some of the audio and maybe our connection in this episode wasn't operating at 100%, but my team has done an incredible job of getting it as intelligible as possible. Robert and I discussed whether or not just to scrap it and try the whole thing again, but if you've ever tried to have the same conversation twice, you know it's just never going to be the same. And I'll take some liberties and speak for Robert here, but I don't think he nor I are very good actors, so that memorization thing is probably out the window. So we decided to let it be, and I'm glad we did, because there are some really great things in this recording that just wouldn't have been repeatable. My guest in this episode, I foreshadowed his name a moment ago, is Robert Yori. Robert is the director of VDC Operations at NTech Engineering in New York City. He's also the program manager and executive committee member of the Design Technology Summit, otherwise known as DTS, which is a pre-conference track of the annual Built North America event, which is... Further, is part of the Digital Built Environment Institute, a.k.a. DBEI. That's where we met. I've been to two DTS events in 2018 and 2019, and one virtual event earlier this year. The first one that I attended was in St. Louis, and the second was in Seattle. This year's are online and ongoing throughout the year. I did end up making summary videos on my YouTube channel about those in-person events and kind of key takeaways and also showing the cities that they were hosted in, which I think is always an important part of an event. And I've added links to those in the show notes. They were fantastic events, and I've been wanting to have Robert on the podcast for a long time to talk about their importance and their impact, both on me and the firm that I was working for, but also on the industry. We get into that in the episode. The main topic of conversation in this episode is really around those DTS events, overarching themes, using empathic techniques when working through ways to engage leadership in their respective adoption in their continued digital transformations, how to share and cross-pollinate those ideas to elevate the profession together, technology as a means to an end, working as a group to advance ideas across institutional and corporate silos, and more. It really is about connecting the dots. I had a really great time talking with Robert, and I hope to do it again on this podcast, hopefully with a better connection next time. So without further ado, I bring you Robert Yori. Robert Yori, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show, but also really great to see you again. It's been a while since it's been in person. Thanks so much, Evan. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the last time we saw each other was in Seattle in 2019. Right. Person. Right. Uh, at DTS. Right. And yeah, no, thanks for the invitation and uh, really uh, looking forward to our chat. So DTS is Design Technology Summit. It's kind of a subset of dbei slash built slash you know there's this this conference has had a few names over the years <laughs> there's, there's a whole bunch of names i will do my best to disambiguate it to the to the extent that i understand it dbei is the organization digital built environment institute the conference that they put on is built so you know they, they say built week often you know like when we had the in-person the in-person sessions they would call it digital built week or built week and that right. was the week's worth of events Right. So those events consisted of built the sort of the flagship conference uh, that you know, that people know. It used to be called RTC. You might know it by a different name. So it encompasses that, which is typically three days, and it encompasses some of the pre events. Uh, there's one called Data Day, which focuses on data, as you might imagine. There's one called Building Content Summit, and then the Design Technology Summit, which is the, uh, the event that I'm most involved with. So those are the pre-events, which happen a couple of days before the, the proper built conference. And then all week. Nice. 
Yeah, thanks for that little history because I think it it does help set this framework. And and I have participated in multiple DTSs. I don't want to call it the DTS summit because that would be redundant, but it's it is that I found it extremely valuable. And the reason why uh, coming from a digital practice kind of position in in a company and talking with peers and colleagues and other firms in similar like cross-sectional, you know, layers within these companies, it was fantastic. And it's great to build that network and to be able to just talk about very openly about struggles and successes and uh, things like that. I, I imagine as one of the people who organizes that you guys, your team and, and you are thinking about ways to leverage those kinds of connections. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can give you a little bit of that sort of the, the genesis story of DTS. Some of it predates me. I'm not sure by how much, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the backstory. So, um, uh, it's really an intent to elevate those conversations. Uh, so, you know, if you go to a conference, sometimes the content in the, the conference, like classes are good. And sometimes you get more value out of the conversations you have in the hallways right. after the classes. Right, right, right. Right when you're out at dinner. So DTS really was, we aspired to elevate those hallway conversations that we would have amongst design technology managers, digital design managers, whatever you want to call them. A lot of maybe. titles. Yeah, there's a, a lot, lot of titles. titles there, but similar. Uh, yeah. Similar shared set of responsibilities. This started about, I think the first one was in 2013 that we held in Vancouver. Back when it was still called, back when it was still called RTC, the, the conference itself. But the idea was to elevate those conversations in the hallway. So, you know, I would get out of a class and I would see uh, Robert Mana, who's the chair of DTS. And I would see Robert and I would see a couple of other people. And we'd all kind of start talking. Just, just, know to swap stories understand uh maybe how how you know robert's company was working about solving particular problems or let's say there was you know some new feature or new functionality that came out in software and kind of wondering if anybody had used it successfully or if somebody had tried it out if they found a way to implement it to to to, to value so you know these kind of conversations you have at the conferences yeah so and typically, it's, you know, it's folks you know, and sometimes, you know, if you're on the conference circuit, you see those people on the conference circuit, and you develop kind of a regular dialogue from event to event. Um, DTS was really an event uh, that, that we wanted to elevate those conversations, take them out of the hallway, and, and make a dedicated event around that sort of collaborative conversation and problem sharing and problem solving. My involvement in DTS came before the initial uh, event, so I, I can't remember exactly when, but um, I had come to a, a point where um, I, I was giving a lot of presentations at some point. I had come to the realization that uh, I had many more questions than I did answers. Most, <laughs> of the, most of the presentations that you end up submitting, some of the ones that you end up giving, it's, a lot of them are about solutions or answers you know, that you have. How to set up a model for large projects, how to handle a uh, CAD file, I don't know, some mundane stuff, some elevated stuff. But the idea is, you know, many of those classes that I would attend, sometimes that I would present at, were about solving particular problems. So they, 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 was, they were chock full of answers. I felt like it. with my role that I was in, I was, at, uh, I was at SLM at the time, I had a lot more questions about our digital design and how it was structured. And... Um, you know, what the group meant and how it related to the projects and how it related to IT and sort of where it fit in the organization. And I think this was, again, you know, this was in, let's say, 2011, 2012. And I think technology, specifically BIM at the time, was very much in uh, more of an opportunity sort of phase. I think um, things have been codified over the years. And there are much more, much more commodified ways to think about BIM on projects today than were 10 years ago. And so we me and Robert and a bunch of other folks, we were all trying to figure this out. You know, we were all kind of relying on each other because typically, you know, in any organization, there's only a few people that are uh, oriented that way, mm-hmm. technology oriented. So, uh, so you leverage your, your, your council of peers. That council of peers generally exists among architecture of a variety of firms. So that's what we want. We wanted to create a place for the folks from all the firms to come and have those conversations. Uh, there was a fair amount of venting 
uh, oh, sorry, let me back up. So I had realized I had all these these questions and not so many answers. So what I ended up doing um, for Autodesk University one year is I proposed, uh, I think they called them roundtables. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. And I called it What's in Your Digital Design Group. Because at the time, I think there was a, there was a bank that had a What's in Your Wallet campaign or a credit card you carried. So really, I, everybody I talked to, I would ask them the same set of questions. How's your group organized? Are you fillable? You know, what's the structure like? Do you report to IT? Are you reporting to the architecture group? You know, all the questions I'm sure that you've asked and discussed past and, and so forth so I, I didn't i would have loved to have given a lecture on that stuff but i didn't i didn't have any answers i had lots of questions right so i proposed a round table yeah and uh i think robert was either in my session sorry robert i don't he's either in my session or heard about my session and uh approached me and and told me that they were putting together this idea for dts um, inside of uh, rtc asked me if I would be interested in uh, participating as, a, as an organizer. I said, yeah, of course. I got plenty of questions left. So that, that was the, the genesis of my involvement and DTS itself, was to, was to create that place for everyone to ask each other questions and for us all to uh, solve those problems jointly. They were, they were questions that we all had of the industry, not so much that any individual firm had. Right. So strength in numbers. Yeah. With this idea of this this kind of group of people within these companies and this round table then at AU. I mean, that's what DTS except it's many round tables, right? It's like you've invited these different leaders and, and people within the firm to come together and share and swap stories of adoption and, you know, all these things that you just mentioned and solve problems. How, how are you organized? Should we organize like that? What's, what are the pitfalls? What are the benefits of, of such organization, et cetera? That's what DTS is on, I don't know, I don't want to say on steroids, but that it's on a bigger scale, right? Because it's, there's probably, how many tables in the room? Maybe 12, 15 tables in the room with eight people at each one of them. And it's pretty fantastic. It's, it's great that you, that you uh, have the Seattle, the Seattle DTS in your memory, because that was uh, our largest one mm-hmm. uh, by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, I think we had 70 some odd people uh, in the room, which was fantastic. The in, one before that, I think, past, was St. Louis, right? I would, went to that I, one as I well. did not make St. Louis, okay. so I can't really tell you how that yeah. went. I had, a, I had a project conflict, and I couldn't make it. But we had been as large as 75. I think, uh, I think there were I think about 40 or 50 in St. Louis, if I'm not mistaken, what I remember. Yeah, told. probably. Uh, and it's been as small as 12 people, and it's been as large as 75. Okay. So uh, it's, it's really designed... Uh, well, we, we initially thought of it as a whole room conversation. Um, you know, I think because at first uh, we were very specific about who we thought would benefit from such a conversation. So we, you know, we initially thought that it was, uh, you know, leaders from large architecture and design firms, perhaps engineering firms, in the early in the early days. Uh, and then over time, we thought, okay, well, as long as we get the right people. In you know, the discipline doesn't really matter as much. But, you know, initially it was um, large firms, large-ish firms, mm-hmm. have uh, uh, specific problems, certainly around, you know, sort of the pragmatic stuff around collaboration and latency and, and, and sort of what it means to work across the world and you know, how, how you can spread knowledge in those ways. So that was our initial focus for the large for the large organizations. But, you know, we've evolved over time to, um, to be a little more broad in scope. And I think it, it's good. You know, it's great to have the different voices in the room. I think, um, if I can say this as a personal observation, uh, certainly I was very interested in hearing the answers uh, of, the, of the people in, in the room, certainly for my own benefit, because I, I, I would like to know what other people are thinking, and hopefully others felt that way too. But, um, but certainly we've evolved into a place where uh, we have a, a more broad representation across the industry. So now we have uh, architecture, engineering, and some construction firms. We've certainly invited some owners in on occasion. In Seattle, you might remember, we had, uh, we had Phil Bernstein join us, which was really, really wonderful. We sort of brought, in, uh, brought in the academic side. Right. Um, and he, of course, as always, contributed uh, wonderfully to, to the conversation. And Chris Parsons as well from, uh, from, uh, from College Architecture. College Architecture. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, you know, and, and of course, you know, if you know Chris, you know, he always brings something special to the conversation as well. 
So I, I was really happy, you know, at the last in-person event. We, we had really seemed to uh, find a wonderful mix of uh, a, a really nice cross-section of the industry and sort of, you know, pulling back into academia. Yeah, and I think what I get... I get most out of those. It's, it's. I was laughing earlier about when you said I had more questions than answers. I was going to say that's just a side effect of age as well. I think the older we get, the more we realize what we don't know, right? And so we, we there's just more questions. There's more things to know about. And you find yourself constantly in awe of what people know about and how, I think in these types of settings in particular, how open people will be about sharing the information in a very kind of vulnerable way that it's like, you know, coming from traditional practice, I'm sure, sure. this would be looked down upon. <laughs> this is this is our secret sauce. This is our intellectual property. And and what you come to realize in these settings is, man, there's a lot of shared struggles there. And so I I take a lot of comfort in that, knowing I remember like in Seattle and Dane Stokes, who's been on the show, he said, Show of hands, who's effectively using AI in their practice right now? And like no hands went up, right? But yet it's the buzzword and it's everybody expects it and the marketing departments are pushing for it. And they're actually telling everybody that we're using it and for all these great things. And then it's like when it actually comes down to it, who in here feels like this is a successful part of your business? And it's like no hands. And it's like, okay, thank God. (laughs) It's not just me. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely for sure, and and that was that was really the initial spirit, right? So so we can all talk about this. I think you know we we can all uh, speculate on you know what whatever the current you know buzz technology is and what it means and how we you know how we might optimistically think that it can improve practice, and we can do plenty of that in the room also. But I think uh, there's a real candor, which I which I really appreciate in that room. There's a mm-hmm. real candor amongst the attendees and uh, and a willingness to share. That I really, really appreciate. Again, it's it's that little circle of you know friends and, and acquaintances you know that used to hang out in the hallways. You know we've we've made that into an event, which yeah. is uh, something to be proud of. I think it's valuable for sure, and and I can't thank you guys enough for the the way that the information is shared in that time, and it is just enough. It's digestible. You can take it back. You can actually employ much of the learning. It's not like an overflowing amount of information and, and it's a daunting task. It's like, okay, here's what I'm going to take away from that and work on um, and bring back some some thoughts and ideas about it to the next one. And I think now you guys have shifted in how this works, obviously COVID in, you know, influenced, but now it's this whole idea of dialogues and kind of continuing the conversation over a longer period of time where instead of having kind of this really tight set of, you know, two or three days. Now those three days are spread out over time. I think you guys have it spread out into three or four meetings that are you know, right. once a quarter or something like that. That's right. We, we haven't settled on the, so, so last year we did the, uh, we did DTS online uh, like everyone did in 2020. And we, like everyone, we were faced with uh, how to, how to shift a, uh, an in-person you know, event into a, an online event and how to be able to keep the content engaging um, so that people just don't look away from their screen, you know, uh, how, to, how to make sure that they stay engaged in the conversation, how to make sure that they want to uh, stay you know, in, in the event you know, all day and, or we chunked it down. So we had all these problems to solve. So we did that. Uh, those were still more formal uh, structured events. And I think uh, part of the philosophy was, at least in year one, online event we wanted to make it um, a little more structured than our in-person events our in-person events seattle was fairly well structured because i think i've been program manager for the last couple of years and i so i can sort of share my thoughts on on how we structured seattle and how we structured the online event this year mm-hmm. um, seattle was the largest as i mentioned the largest attendance that we had and it's one thing to have a loose conversation with 10 people in the room quite another to try and have a loose conversation with 75 people in the room. Uh, so I felt that uh, a little bit more structure would improve the quality and uh, diversity of the conversation. Um, you know, you don't want, if you're, if you're not careful, someone may make a statement and then four people will take the mic after them and say, I agree 100% with what so-and-so just said, and here are all the reasons why I agree. And 
piling on. The next yeah. person, they say, <laughs> you know what? Me too. You know, yep. so I'm glad. I'm glad they want to feel comfortable to speak. But I think, you know, in an attempt to keep the conversation uh, diverse, with different viewpoints, I think, you know, we, we tried to put a little bit more structure in uh, to Seattle. And I, I felt the same way about the online event. Again, you know, online, you're at home, you've got a million disorders or somewhere. You've got a million distractions. You know, you can very quickly look away to your email if something's just not engaging you at the moment. There are a lot of other possible ways to sort of peel out of the conversation. So, again, I felt a little bit more structure would, would help and to, to really invite all the participants to engage to the greatest degree possible. So we, we did three sessions in 2020. Uh, one was the kickoff. It was a panel discussion about the sudden shift to working not in an office, whether it's working from home or somewhere else remotely, um, in, a, in an industry that is largely uh, by tradition, uh, been focused on a bunch of people gathering in one spot, huddled around a table with a set of drawings or a model, or whatever. Uh, how, how does that, and, and, and there's, there's a long tradition of wanting to keep it that way mm-hmm. in a lot of firms as well. Clearly, this shift wasn't a voluntary one. Mm-hmm. So the, the panel discussion uh, was really focused around some key questions about how that shift happened, you know, in the panelists' firms. If they had been planning to support uh, remote working in, in the past and how that came to be, how that came to fruition, were there challenges that you needed to meet quickly that you didn't expect to meet? What were those? How did you make, how did you make it through those? And then also kind of looking ahead, what do you think might be more permanent? Some of the things that you adopted. You know, uh, uh, is there anything that you see that has a great deal of longevity beyond this this remote working phase? You know, once we all um, once we all get past the pandemic. Uh, so so there was that series of questions, and then we had sort of an, an externally facing series of questions. And given that we've switched to a more digital way of working, not just because digital is more portable. Uh, what are those opportunities, if any, that you see in a way to transform the way that you engage with your clients or change the services that you offer or expand the services that you offer uh, or offer either a different set or pursue new markets or externally? What, what might that mean you know, for your firms? So our panelists consisted of um, Natasha Luthra, who's uh, uh, Director of Innovation at Jacobs, Thomas Lovzigo at uh, Playco, uh, Brian Skripak at Ken Design and uh, Alexandra Pollock at FX. So they were very, you know, very helpful in sort of sharing their reflections in, in you know, shifting to working remotely and sort of quantificating about what that might mean for the future. And then the following two sessions were really us asking the same questions in a roundtable session. We said, okay, you heard from the panelists. Hopefully they got your mind thinking about you know, how your firm and how your organizations have done this shift. So, you know, let's... Let's start these questions. So, so we structured them in a, a series of, uh, well, let's call them vignettes. Mm-hmm. They were a series of perspectives, um, uh, and we, we structured those around different roles in firms. So you might remember in Seattle, we adopted something called the six thinking hat structure. Right, right. And that six thinking hat structure was really designed to sort of prevent the pile-on. Right? Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. So instead of answering as a design technology manager, any question, what, what uh, you know, what's the best thing about, well, you know, what are the, what's the greatest advantage that you have found with remote working? And each six thinking hat was, was designed from a different perspective. So like one of them was the eternal optimist, one was the pragmatist, one was the pessimist, one was, you know, so the idea was that you wouldn't necessarily respond in your voice. You would have to assume a personality and yeah. try to figure out you know, what, what that perspective would be table personality traits that everybody deals with in these in these firm settings right yeah exactly exactly and i I thought it was a really interesting way to sort of you know stretch our minds to to think not only about how we react but how others in the firm you know would react and you know as design technology folks you know we have to as you said right we have to deal with all kinds and all different personalities so um to better understand uh those perspectives i think is invaluable you got, you have the optimistic designer and the practical project manager. Yeah. I mean, you, you, yeah. and, and it really is a, a useful tool. I, I love how you guys did that because it did give that empathetic part of, to the equation to say like, okay, yeah, we, we know 
your experience. But now imagine if you're somebody, put yourself in somebody else's shoes and be that person when you're thinking about this question and how right. you guys might approach it from that. Respond as that person. Right. So, so we took that idea a step further in, um, in the online series. And we, 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 we sort of categorized a series of roles. We had, um, uh, well, pretty much what you just said, uh, the project manager, the firm owner, the firm principal, um, uh, a junior architect, uh, a design architect, and someone who's responsible for production. And, and we asked a series of questions, or we actually proposed a series of statements. I learned this from Phil Bernstein, I have to give him credit for this, mm-hmm. about sort of proposing a statement, uh, being provocative to mm-hmm. initiate a conversation. And say, here's the statement. The best thing about um, you know, digital workflows uh, is the ability for us to collaborate more effectively. I don't know, I'm just making this up right now, but you put that up there. And then you say, okay, group, do you agree with that or do you disagree? I don't care which one you do. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I like it if you disagree because generally that draws a bigger rise out of people. But if you disagree, tell me why. Tell right. me, you know, tell me where that statement's wrong. Uh, tell me, you know, what, what that statement should be. And not only don't agree or disagree with me as you, agree or disagree with me as a firm leader. Agree or disagree with me as a designer. Agree or disagree with me as a project manager. Uh, and think about it from that perspective. Again, in an attempt to sort of really work on that, uh, that uh, I suppose it's a it's an empathic approach. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of the things that <laughs> I agree a hundred percent completely, Robert. Um, the, <laughs> well, there's only two of us, so that's yeah. okay. <laughs> the the whole idea of people going to a, a technology heavy conference, I think that there's kind of a stigma associated with that, which is you guys are going to talk about programs. You're going to talk about applications. Mm-hmm. You're going to talk about mm-hmm. workflows. You're going to talk about interoperability and you're going to talk about the latest content management and data and this and that. But what we're actually talking about here are much bigger things than that. And it really puts the technology as an enabler to accomplish these things. And the way that we've talked about it before is it's, it's a means to an end. It's not the end though, right? The, I think the, the stigma that comes along with a conference like this is it's a bunch of nerds going to talk about tools and the tools are the only thing they care about. And that is not the case at all. And that's what I really want to emphasize about DTS in particular. And the value that it provides, I feel is that when you're there, you're rarely talking about tools at all. You're talking about much larger concepts that everybody is struggling with. You're talking about culture and adoption and efficiency and taking architecture to another level and how you can help make that happen. And there's so many concepts that I think really get people, you can see that their passion actually lies in that. And the tools then are come in under all that to help fulfill those those larger questions and, and problem sets. I, I can't tell you how thrilled I am uh, that you say that. First of all, I don't think I could have put it uh, as eloquently as you, so thank you for that. But that that's exactly the goal that I've, certainly I've had. It's one of my goals for DTS, um, understanding what it takes to move from a technology to a leader mm-hmm. you know, in an organization. Even if your role still is technologically based, you know, when I was starting out in the industry, uh, there was, I, I forget the joke, I'll botch it, but the idea is like, uh, if you're a project manager, you manage projects. If you're a jar manager or personnel manager, you manage people. If you're a CAD manager, you manage drawing files. Mm-hmm. It was like this kind of wah wah. Right. <laughs> so, so uh, this is something that, I, you know, I, I think about a lot, certainly. Uh, you know, what does it mean to be a leader that works on technology, works in technology, as opposed to, a leader that works in any other aspect of, of practice. Um, I was fortunate enough to be involved with AIA's technology and architectural practice uh, knowledge community for many years. And uh, the year that I was chair in 2016, and we have this thing with all the other knowledge communities called the KLA, Knowledge Leadership Assembly or something. And so you get to meet sort of the leaders from all the knowledge communities, you know, whether it's sustainability, architecture for justice, uh, building performance, technology, uh, and, and a whole range of others. Let's talk to them. And that was kind of when the light bulb went off in my head, that in order for me to talk about technology in ways that resonated uh, with the AIA membership, technology was the means to an end. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's great to nerd out, you know, with technology. I, I, I'll be the last person to tell you that's a bad idea. And there's plenty of that, you know, when you want. But um, I think too often that sort of bigger picture is overlooked. Uh, oftentimes, I think, you know, I think we've all experienced it in some ways. If someone hears that you're involved in technology, they've immediately sort of categorized you as being one of those you know, nerdy folks who, who can't really manage to communicate except for in the technology sphere. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, that's a real, I think that's a real challenge. Maybe not for everybody personally, but that perception. So I think in order to be able to stretch one's mind, to be able to think about things from other perspectives, let's say in practice, or other perspectives in general, and then be able to talk about your area of expertise, if it's technology, for example, in ways that are meaningful to those people. Technology, as you said, being used to an end. And that's something that I've really tried to further in uh, DTS and and we've all tried to further that. Yeah, and I think that that is a root of a lot of the questions that come up over and over again as maybe new people filter into those roles and they start to question structure and how things are set up and why they're set up that way and are you a part of IT? Are you are you a separate group from IT? Are you your own profit center within the larger organization? How is your team made up? Do you guys do training too? Like, do you guys manage all of the license? Like, who does what? What's the the division of labor? What you know? And it's interesting because you start to think about those questions, and they are questions of operations and leadership and HR and all. You know, it it really is getting into this. I don't know if layer is the right word that runs throughout a company, but like a technology layer is much deeper than people give it credit for being. And I, I, one of the things that that used to come up all the time was, you know, I can't believe a new version of this or that comes out every single year. And, and all you care about is, it's like, okay, well go ahead and deliver the project without it. Like, how are you, how is the business? And it never became more apparent than when COVID happened. How, how does the business survive without technology? Right. Very, it'd be right. very hard. <laughs> Let's just say, listen, I don't want to say that it, it couldn't, but it, it very close to couldn't. And so you start to think about how deeply ingrained this is into the way all businesses work nowadays. But, but I think st- we still come from, you know, we, the, the Royal, we as the architects who've been around for a very long time. still kind of think of it as this thing that's just a very thin layer on our practice when it's not, it's, it's deeply, deeply rooted in the people who show up to conferences to come to talk about these problems and challenges and opportunities care so much. And they care so much about the profession and how they can use the talents and the tools that they have to help make those things be better. Be so that, so that the architecture and the engineering can change the world. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> the theme of this episode is agreement. <laughs> this episode of Troxel Podcast is made possible by Twin Motion. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process, or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up? Our friends at Twin Motion offer simple, real time visualization for architects. Their technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, VR videos, or presentations. Sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present the biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience? To download your exclusive free trial, head to twinmotion.link slash trxl. That's twinmotion.link, not .com, .link slash trxl. Monograph. Monograph is building a community of like-minded firm owners and operations leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. On top of that, Monograph is building the only cloud-based practice operations software built exclusively for architects by architects. Monograph's easy-to-use and beautifully designed software allows you and your team to know in near real time whether you are on pace to deliver a project on budget. With Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, role assignments, and team members all in one place. 
The best part of Monograph? It doesn't require a degree in finance to use. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. And to underscore their commitment to the community, on August 12th, Monograph will be hosting their first ever virtual conference. It's called Section Cut. This one-day event brings firm owners, operations leaders, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops, all with a goal of improving their business. Reserve a seat at Section Cut today by visiting sectioncut.com. And ArcIT. One of the things I really got out of the conversation that I had with Boris, the CEO of ArcIT, was that they are dedicated to the design community. They have three guiding principles listed on the front page of their website, and I wanted to dig in for a moment into those. The first one is that they are committed to being the expert. You've hired them to understand their business and to make the best IT decisions for you. So when you work with ArcIT, you will only work with industry-experienced IT professionals. The second guiding principle is that they are responsive. They understand that in the architecture and design world, deadlines are everything. If you have an issue and you have a deadline coming up, they'll find a solution. And the third guiding principle is that they are proactive. They'll always make sure that your systems are up to date so unplanned issues won't come up, as well as meet with you regularly to explain new technology advances within the industry. So, as business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. And for many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. ArcIT, however, is a very different kind of company. They specialize in serving architecture, design, and engineering firms, and their goal is to help you use technology as a competitive advantage. This means that they understand your technology stack, and they won't waste your time and money learning how your tools work within your process. Combine that with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, and solid disaster recovery and backup solutions. That's something that everybody should be thinking of, honestly and enterprise-grade security management. And yet, above all, these are just table stakes for a solid IT company. ArcIT goes a step further. They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business processes. So all of this sounds expensive, right? Nope, because ArcIT is highly specialized for our industry. Their pricing is on par or, in some cases, even lower than other IT providers. ArcIT is transparent and even publishes the pricing right on their website. Uh, Speaking of their website, there's also something else you should check out when you're there, and that is their Design Under Influence blog and video series. Again, adding value to IT-type solutions across industry, all good stuff. So your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to my friends at ArcIT for a free consultation. So go to getarcit, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com, arc-like architecture in the middle, and click work with us. So thanks very much to ArcIT for sponsoring this episode of the Troxel podcast. And now let's get back to our conversation. So where does where does DTS go from here? I mean, I know the, the one, it was supposed to happen in in San Diego, I believe, a couple of years ago. That That's it where it, it got... It got the kibosh and, um, and then it went online. So ha- have you guys run through the, the entirety of your online series yet or, or what, what's yet to happen? We have. So uh, there was a built online that happened, uh, I guess it was almost a month ago now, come to think of it. it was a, they, they planned a single virtual conference this year that spanned a bunch of different time zones. That was, it was basically a, th- a three-day marathon. Instead of doing um, like the Australia, the Europe, the yeah, North America, okay. Exactly. They had they had held one virtual event. I mean, arguably it was multiple events because you had speakers from different time zones and mm-hmm. schedules coordinated that were sympathetic to the time zones of their intended audience. But mm-hmm. really, it was it was kind of like a. When I was a kid, I used to watch the Jerry Lewis telethon, you know, over Labor Day, and it was kind of like that. You know, like every time I would turn on my computer, there would be something else on, you know, some other some other talk on. So yeah, so that happened a month ago and that was a, a single virtual event. Uh, my understanding uh, as of a month ago that their DBEI is still targeting an in-person event in Australia, I think in September. Okay. So I haven't checked in with them for a little while. Uh, we're all sort of catching our breath after the, the 
the virtual event. And to be clear, yeah. like you, you, this is your side gig. <laughs> this is, oh, yeah. Yeah. This totally is not your, your day-to-day thing. So no, I, have yeah. a, I have a day job, too. You're like, yeah, um, I, did. I haven't checked in on my day job in a couple of months. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Um, yeah, that's a whole other story. Um, no, no, this is a side thing. So, so they are still planning uh, on hosting an Australian, in-person Australian event. Uh, I know that there are uh, looser plans. There's obviously there are goals to have in-person events. Uh, I expect this is not the voice of DBEI. This is my own speculation that there will be some level of uh, hybridization in these events. Although I don't know how. Yeah. Again, right. tough problem. Uh, not me speculating as, as DBEI, uh, but uh, I think as we've all learned, you know, uh, having resources available to you either during or after the after the event follow up or just review i think are tremendously helpful so uh i would imagine that we can continue that that mm. tradition mm-hmm. for dts uh dts was not part of the, the worldwide dbei event i think the, the concentration was really just trying to put together a, a core flagship event which is totally understandable uh we were very happy to get the breather anyway so yeah, right. no, no, no problems there i'm sure that when we do have the in-person events, that uh, TTS is still uh, a core part of that, that DBEI built week, whatever you're calling it, probably called the same thing. But we don't really have any agile plans just yet. We're all still kind of on our summer break. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I, I guess one of the questions I have, thinking about the bigger topic of the DTS, Design Technology Summit, like what, what have you thought were some of the big takeaways that you've experienced. I mean, I'm sure it's, I don't want to say like there's one overarching one, but I'm sure each one, each event kind of has something special about it that has been a big takeaway for you, especially as kind of the, on the organization side of it. I'm sure there's things that you never expected to happen, but on this, on the other level, like, yeah, this, this went kind of how we, we planned it. So what are some of the big takeaways for me, for you guys as the organ as the organizational group behind it that you've really felt have been successful coming out of that and and for, for the attendees that, that came and, and contributed and, and participated? I, I can think of a couple of things offhand. Uh, and this kind of spans uh, the, the lifespan to date DTS. You know, it started off uh, just as much of a peer support group and eventing. You know, uh, actually, we used to have a, a session there called the, uh, called the Airing and yeah. That was like our, our starting session. Nice. Uh, where we pretty much everybody would just kind of you know, get it out of their system. That's before and, the feats of strength, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, before the feats of strength. Yeah, no, so we get that all out of our system and then we would kind of dive in and have those conversations. So, a commiseration not to, session. Not, not yeah. to beat this point, you know, to a pulp, but I, I really like that idea of, of uh, camaraderie in the room and the idea of that, that sort of collaboration. Even if we, we all know that we're in some ways, you know, com- competing with each other, you know, architecture firms are there, mm-hmm. other firms or whatever. But, but the idea is that, uh, you know, without giving any secret sauce away, you know, we can all help each other. Mm-hmm. And all, you know, we're all professionals. We all have problems and we're all looking to improve practice in the built environment. So that's something that I find really heartening. Um, I, I really do enjoy um, the evolution of DTS where, before it was, we've really started to develop themes around each event. So we have a larger idea, and then we have a series of, like, we explore those in subcategories. Also, that ability to um, approach it from a sort of a multi-perspective approach. So think about this as a project designer. Mm-hmm. Think about this question, think about your response in the way a project designer would answer it. Uh, think about it in the way that uh, you know, a junior-level architect who's you know, a year out of school and this probably two different responses maybe not but the idea is to sort of you know stretch that conversation and make it diverse that way i think um i i I derive a great deal of personal satisfaction out of that i think a lot about career paths i think anybody who's worked in the intersection of architecture and technology um where there has been defined career paths Mm -hmm. um i've had plenty of conversations with plenty of people about that certainly my personal hope is that dts can be um, a venue where one can explore, um, well, where there are a bunch of people thinking about their career paths in areas where they aren't particularly predefined, 
we can sort of forge our own way yeah, in developing of. sort of empathic level understanding technology as a means to an end and looking to you know further more advanced positions, whether it's in a firm or elsewhere. Yeah, kind of navigating that together, definitely. Exactly. I think one exactly. of the things that that I appreciate about it as well, and I don't think we've touched on this yet, but it's very different than going to a lab session at built or at AU or a, you know, a, a panel discussion or a presentation. I mean, it's very interactive. It forces you to contribute. You can't hide in the, in the DTS room. <laughs> so no, you, you can't, you no. can't. And uh, I, I like that because you get so many perspectives and so many experiences. Uh, it's a very diverse room. I mean, I would, that's, that's hard to say, right? It's hard to say. For me, you probably know more about it than I do, but it is it is diverse. It's diverse in gender. It's diverse in backgrounds. It's diverse in race. It's diverse in all kinds of ways. And I think that it's it. There's definitely a feeling in that room of okay, I've got to participate. I've got to because each table kind of brings something to the larger group wide conversations that uh, you know that that common awkwardness of who's going to be the presenter of the information that we all, we all discussed is very real. But um, that aside, it, it's uh, they are fantastic conversations and a lot of really good information comes out of those. Do you guys do anything to push that out to the audience in a larger way, or is it just strictly held to the group of people who attend? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I will say, normally I say it's a good question when I don't know the answer, but I do know the answer. To okay. This. We've tried in various ways to uh, extend the, the value in the room beyond the room. Mm. Uh, and that's taken a couple of different forms. Um, in the early years of DTS, we were organized into three groups, um, one of which was the management group, which I was the leader of. And this question that we keep talking about, sort of how the, how the group is organized, you know, how it, whether it's billable, you know, to, we, we focused on one year, focused on the idea of deliverables as outcomes from this conversation. So that people could really bring something back to the office and say, okay, you know, here's basically, here's an encapsulation of what we discussed. You know, here's some value, first of all, because we thought it would help and, um, you know, not unselfishly. Second of all, because we wanted people to come back and it's much easier to justify a return if, you know, they have something to show for it and can talk about how beneficial it was rather than, you know, we spend a day and a half in a room talking about this stuff, which is great, but, you know, it's hard to make the argument with, with that as your as the basis of your, of your right. argument. Uh, so uh, one of the deliverables that we put together a number of years ago was uh, uh, centered around these conversations. So we kind of honed in on uh, whether design technologists should be billable or overhead. And, of course, you know, there's all sorts of conversations around the department they live in, they're chargeable to projects, and to what degree and was training part of that or not. So we had a, a number of rich discussions around it. And the, the deliverable form that it ended up taking uh, was an op-ed style article. So I thought it would be fun uh, if we structured it in that way. So we basically had, I didn't really think about this, but we were assuming personas back then as well. So we had persona A, which was um, uh, design technologists should always be billable. They should always be on projects and they should always be built. This is so, your pr provocative you know, statement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Provocative yeah. statement, hoping to get a rise out of somebody, just right. hoping to sort of get their brain engaged and thinking about it. And we wrote an article uh, from that opinion's perspective. And then on the other side of the column, we had you know, Persona B that said, no, they should always be overhead. Mm -hmm. And here are all the reasons why. Just in the same way that, you know, uh, you used to read an op-ed section and you'd have, you know, like, you know, one question and the yes person was on the left and the no person was on the right. You would read both of them. You come to your own conclusions. Right. So that's how we structured it. We thought it'd be fun, a fun read for that. So that was uh, maybe one of our first deliverables, one of our first takeaways. And we were fortunate enough that um, uh, the folks at design intelligence took an interest in it and they, they published it in their, their quarterly publication, uh, which was fantastic. And still really grateful uh, for them to do that. Some years, We've uh, simply, every year we do transcripts uh, and then take them, we edit them, we, we parse them, we try to make them into something a little bit more digestible than simply a transcript of the conversations. I don't even know how that is possible because I watch them type and it's like there's five people talking at once and how? 
Yeah. That's, that's why we pay professionals. To right. Do They're good at yeah. it. Yeah. We, we learned, <laughs> we learned that the money that we pay the professionals is well, well, well worth it. Yeah. And then the committee reviews it. We just make sure that, you know, the tone's right. And all that, and and to be honest with you, the, the folks that are doing the transcriptions, they're not you know subject matter experts, right. you know about what's going on in the room. So we just we just make sure that everything's sure. kind of you know combed over just right. We distribute those to the attendees uh, so that they can bring that back to the office and sort of work on that. I think for the last two sessions with slightly more structured events beyond just initial conversations, um, I had been developing a series of uh, handouts, certainly for last year like the slide decks with the provocative statements and the role descriptions, you know, we've, we've provided those uh, for, for folks to bring back to their practice. And, you know, I would love it. It's not up to me, but, you know, if someone can find some use for those things and, you know, in practice, or if they wanted to make a lunch and learn out of it and do a little exercise in the office, perhaps with similar questions or using a similar approach, I think that'd be great, but it's not up to me. It's totally fine. The idea is that we're, we're giving folks some resources to take outside of the room to be able to bring back to their practice, as well as the outcome of the conversations. You know, I don't think we did transcripts this year, but you know, it's still very much part of the plan so that you have a record of it and uh, do with it what you will. You do it, you, that's what you use AI for now. <laughs> you hook up the, the bot to Zoom and it transcribes the Zoom call and boom, done. I, I think it's a, that that was always a deliverable that we had internally was anybody who goes to these conferences, you know, the company's paying for you to go now come back and you don't have to present everything, but you need to present something. So pick a, a topic that adds value to the day to day of, you know, some number of people in the firm. And I always found that there's some people who wait till the very last minute to put those together and they just end up presenting what, you know, the slide deck that the person did, but the people who are really serious about it, actually took uh, their own stab at presenting the key takeaways and some really important things to get this, to, to start a, a communication thread, right? Not just, again, create a one-way presentation, but create a dialogue about it. Right. That, to me, is is a very successful way to help this stuff live on within the individual firms that the information gets back to. I mean, I, I will tell you, I would love, you know, I'm usually so wound up by the end of these, um, the end of these sessions. Uh, oftentimes I'm, I'm one of the conversation facilitators. Mm-hmm. Um, in some years I've been not the only conversation facilitator, but some, some years there's one or two facilitators and some years we have more. And back to your earlier point. Yeah. If I see somebody in the corner of the room and they're not responding, I will go pick on them. They're doing so, yeah, email. you're right. Yeah. There are, there are no, there are no silent people in the room. At least, at least when I'm facilitating the conversation, you know, uh, it's a lot of reason, work. You know, get it up. So I'm usually pretty wound up by the end of the day. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, usually pretty jazzed about the conversation and relieved that it's over and all that. But of course I have all these thoughts going on in my head and, and I'm like, man, I can't wait to get back and look at this material and add to it. And, you know, do all these great things, but You're as fried. you mentioned, I have, I have a day job, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, so this is like the, the thing that I do, you know, in addition to that. So, and you've just and, described my podcast, Robert. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, all of us, all of us, you know, on the committee are the same way. We, we come, you know, we, we do our follow-up meeting after the event and we're all bursting with ideas, but then, you know, it, none of us have a lot of time and we just all spent it, you know, in the lead up and the preparation. So, um, I will say, you know, one thing that I, I, I wish that we could do better and that I hope we can do better, maybe through AI, is to turn around those those deliverables uh, a little more quickly than we have in the past. Um, I would love to be able to get it to people sooner so that that momentum doesn't get lost. But, uh, but you know, there are only so many hours in the day. So. There are realities. And, and it, it is very rewarding, right? Like you said, to you come away with so many ideas and the gears are turning and you're exhausted. Like there's the reality of that day job and that brick wall that you're about to hit again. And, and it, it's, that's too bad. I mean, honestly, that, that everybody deals with that with conferences, you know, you go to these conferences, you get inspired, you're invigorated, you're challenged. There, there's so many really valuable things that people take away from conferences. And there's that, that harsh reality on the other side and, and running the event. I mean, I've done that as well. And facilitating is difficult work. I mean, you, you, you kind of get just that runner's high kind of a feel like you're in it, you're doing it. And it's, it's just, it's flowing. And then, man, you really hit that wall at the afterward and, and it, it took a lot out of you. You didn't realize it, um, but your spirit was strong, but then it needs to rest. 
there, there are plenty of times where we, you know, we finish the, the sessions and we, you know, we go straight into the, you know, the post day drinks and then we have dinner and stuff. But there have been plenty of times where I will literally just go retreat back to my room and I will sit there in complete silence. I will just sit. I won't move. I won't do anything. I will sit there in complete silence for at least 20 minutes. And good, just good meditative state there because you need just, it so bad. <laughs> that's it. I'm like, I have not not spoken all day. Right. I'm going to sit here and not speak. <laughs> not not spoken. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I encourage everybody who's hearing this to check out DTS. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. But I, I think it's worth looking at, especially if you're interested in the types of conversations that we've been talking about on this episode. Uh, I Again, I, I can't understate or i can't overstate i don't know the right word there the value that i've taken away from those conversations even though it only comes once a year if that <laughs> not not really counting the covid related ones that happened at, at different times but I, I kudos to you and the team putting that together i think it really is valuable across the entire industry and it and it should be recognized as such so i appreciate you well, it's, it's, taking the it's time certainly to talk not about just it. me well, thank, thank you very much. I mean, it's, it's certainly not just me. I, I really have to, to thank everyone on the committee. We've got, uh, for those of you that, that don't know, the committee is, the DTS committee is chaired by Robert Manna, who's at Stantech. We also have, we also have Vicki Harris from HKS, Brad Novak from Catch Partners, uh, Chris Ward from Trainer Rochelle, uh, Craig Barbieri from Mobile Group. And am I missing anybody? I hope I'm not missing anybody. We're always missing somebody. <laughs> um, I'm going to get into so much trouble if I miss somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, this wasn't a prepared anyway. question, so <laughs> no, it was not. And you know, I should have, you know, I should have made sure that uh, I had that on the top of my head. But but it's really a group effort, and, and you know, we all again, we all have day jobs. We're all super busy, and uh, we all really support each other. Um, I I love being able to. I mean, in some ways, it's just like design. You know, I have, you know, we, some of us, you know, we, we brainstorm ideas for, you know, what we want the theme to be that year. We kind of occasionally all break off with one or two of the folks and we kind of develop a little bit more. We needle, we bring it back to the group. We kind of stretch it into a day long theme. We develop some subsections. We do all this. It's really, really a group effort. I, you know, I come up with half cooked ideas and then everybody you know, shoots them down legitimately so. And then you know, it forces me to make them. Uh, a little more robust and a little more useful. They come back with other ideas, and it's just a it's a it's a really great group to work with. I really, I really enjoy working with everybody, and and all of DBEI, including Wes. Wes couldn't be more supportive of the group either. So, uh, you know, many thanks to him as well. Yeah, Mr. Wesley Bean. Yep, good people. That's a great group. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk about this today, and I appreciate you sharing that here because I, it does deserve a look for sure, and you guys are doing a valuable thing. So uh, I will put links to all of this stuff into the show notes. Is there any other links or places where people can follow along online with what's going on with you and DTS and DBEI? Generally, I post everything on my page, uh, Robert because that's my name. I'll, I'll put a link to that as well. I have a Twitter account, which occasionally, like I, I tend to use it in spurts. I won't touch it for months and then I'll retweet a whole bunch of stuff, usually around the time we start publicizing for DTS. And then, of course, the, the DBEI page and the event pages, which hopefully I can send you the links. And yeah, maybe you can that'd be fantastic. Your notes as well. I will. Yeah. Well, thanks again. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Kevin, thanks so much. I, I really always enjoy talking with you, podcast or not. And I can't wait to uh, see you somewhere again, hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.